The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome to another edition of Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. We appreciate you listening to us here on Extra 106.3. Want to start by the way we always do. If folks need to get a hold of you guys, how can they get you? Well, Tug, as you know, having recently been involved in an uh, incident right. on the road yourself, that's right. Um, I'm always available. You can call me at 404-522-7553. Hagan-Law.com is the website. Bruce at Hagan-Law.com. You can shine that Hagen Law symbol up into the sign, and I will swoop down in the Hagen Copter and immediately begin representing <laughs> you in your personal injury claims. I love it. Well, Bruce, and you're right. And, Tug, when that happened, you did call 404-964-4185 and talk to me on my cell phone. That's exactly right. And, uh, and I was ready for that call. So that's right. That's how folks can find me. That is my cell phone. It's on all the time. Or RayGLaw.com. Ray Judice, G-I-U-D as in David, I-C-E. No one could pronounce it until Teresa Judice of the uh, Housewives of New Jersey became <laughs> quite popular. You. Lucky me. I had a lot of judges for a number of years. Mr. Judice, are you related to that crazy woman in New Jersey? So right. no judge. Her husband's last name is Judice. Yeah. Yeah, right. Now, there may be a Judice connection to Joe, who has been deported and is back in Italy eating well. well. I eating understand. well. Eating well. well. Good for him. I remember when I was in the Navy going to Italy, I ate really, really they, well myself. They just would hurt themselves before they'd give you a bad meal Goodness over there. Goodness gracious. Yep. Yeah. I, was, uh, I visited Naples. I visited Rome. There's gorgeous there. If you've never been, you need to go. Do yourself a favor. All right, we're going to get started with a judge who's overturned the California 32-year-old assault weapons ban. The California governor said it's a direct threat to public safety. So I want to pick this up and see where you guys stand on it. This is a story from the New York Times. Yeah, and it's um, you know obviously very timely. It seems every day you pick up the paper and you're reading about some incident of gun violence, and oftentimes they're involving these types of assault weapons. California had banned this a long time ago as a matter of public policy, and here's a federal judge uh, named Roger Benitez, a W appointee from back in 2003, who's saying that this is improper and illegal for the state to impose a ban. The ruling was very provocative. The thing that got the most attention was an analogy of the AR-15 to a Swiss army knife in the sense of its multiple uses and how it can be used across platforms. But, you know, on its surface, it just was this sort of flippant statement that I think really gets people's attention who are on the side of gun control to just say that, you know, this this is an indication of how out of touch you are. The judge wrote this opinion and built into it a 30-day waiting period with the idea that this is certainly going to get appealed, as it should, because it's really an issue of constitutional law. And while judges at the district court level can decide those sorts of things, this is such a hot issue that you wonder if it's going to be taken up all the way to the Supreme Court or perhaps get resolved at the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So we have a judge who has a lifetime appointment. He can serve another 20 years if he should live so long. And this is why we have the federal judiciary 
which is to be insulated from having to run for election every four years and having to raise campaign money and putting up posters and signs and making TV ads. So the theory was by the framers of the Constitution that these judges, these federal judges, would be immune from the day-to-day criticism, TV newscasters, and the type of criticism that Bruce brought up by the anti-gun groups about this being analogous to a Swiss Army knife, which is part of the reason why they lose these arguments in front of the courts constantly because that's a red herring. To get caught up in the analogy that this judge made, which was to show that the AR-15, there is nothing about it. It makes it only a weapon of war. He's saying, hey, it's a really great weapon. And technology and weapon technology, like all the other technology in our life, has just advanced. This thing can shoot faster with a higher caliber and more accuracy than guns could 30 years ago. And it's still covered by the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution. So, you know, I think the anti-gun groups have taken their eye off the ball. So now the case will go up to the Ninth Circuit. There are 13 circuit courts. If I'm correct, Bruce, you're saying yes. I think I'm right. I don't practice in the federal courts that much. And it'll go in front of a panel of three circuit court justices who will now hear an appeal. If they should rule and follow through with Judge Benitez's ruling, the California Justice Department will then ask for a rehearing on what's called en banc, the entire panel of circuit court judges. And I want to say there's 15, but again, I'm not, I don't practice in that circuit. So they'll have a rehearing most likely. And if the judge's ruling is upheld, then they can apply for writ of certiorari to the United States Supreme Court, which I believe would probably be granted. I think this is the kind of case. It seems like a hot enough issue that one side or the other would appeal it and that the U.S. Supreme Court would likely consider this because, you know, these types of statutes are being looked at state by state and at the federal level as well. It's awful every time there's some kind of a mass shooting incident and you know we constantly then seem to be dividing ourselves among lines of these types of weapons should be banned or these speed loaders should be banned or bump stocks should be banned or whatever it might be on the one side folks who are calling for reasonable measures for gun control and on the other side are the folks who believe that the second amendment is more sacred than anything in the bible or anything else that's written and it can't be touched or tampered with or any limitations whatsoever are unconstitutional that we should prosecute folks who use weapons illegally and prosecute people who use handguns to commit crimes with severe punishments. It's the Second Amendment because it was really important. Mm-hmm. So so George Washington and Jefferson and Hamilton and Monroe and Adams, they, they said, we're done with the freedom of speech thing. Next on the topic is guns because the Redcoats tried to come in our houses yeah. and take our stuff and our people. And we have a right to be armed and bear arms and form militias to protect ourselves. Now, I think the militia part, and I'm not a Second Amendment specialist, but I think the militia part is the part that I think is often subject to, what were they really talking well, about? Well, right, and and the words well-regulated uh, seem to that's fall also out important. because it's supposed to be a well-regulated militia. militia. But again, that's how the, the colonists put together the army. Each colony contributed their militia to fight under Washington, mm-hmm. and so we didn't have an army. We had a bunch of well-regulated militias from different groups and towns and cities that came together. So it's lost its historical understanding. you agree with me? Yeah, and and even if you were a framer of the U.S. Constitution back when it was being written, and also in your personal life were the most advanced thinking science fiction writer of the day, you still could not have anticipated this sort of weaponry that is available on the open market here in today's America. The idea that without limitation,
location. All weapons are allowed to be sold. You know, look, we already have restrictions on weapons. You can't just go out and buy a flamethrower or a bazooka. There are some restrictions. And that's what the judge said, that this is not a flamethrower or a bazooka or a grenade launcher. It's a weapon that has multi-purposes, home defense being one of them, and it's extremely effective yeah. at defending yourself, your persons, your property, and those that you love. And that was the analogy to the Swiss Army knife, that it's, right. that it's the perfect blend of home defense weapon and homeland defense equipment. But certainly when in an era of headlines and crawlers on the channels, you Tickers, know, yeah. that's what you see. You know, judge compares uh, AR-15 to Swiss Army knife. I actually think that that argument to protect this judgment is actually a good one, and I think that may resonate more soundly with the Ninth Circuit than the argument, well, he made this crazy analogy to the Swiss Army knife by the anti-gun folks. So it's going to be fascinating, and I think the Supreme Court will take this case. The writ of certiorari is basically you're asking the court, the Supreme Court, to take a case. There's a handful of cases that the United States Supreme Court must take. Lawsuits and arguments between the states is one of them. Death penalty cases is the other. But some cases, they don't have to grant the writ, the permission slip. They take about 200 cases a year, give or take. And what the Supreme Court likes to do, the United States Supreme Court, is grant this writ of certiorari to one case that can address lots of issues. So that's what Bruce was uh, Mm -hmm. now analyzing. Comparing to yeah, earlier. It's right. easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. um, Judge Benitez apparently has a history, too, when it comes to these issues, because there was another law where California had tried to ban high-capacity magazines. I think any magazine that held more than 10 rounds, California had instituted a ban on the sale of those. That case also ended up in his courtroom. He said that ban was not legal. That case is currently on appeal at, at the Ninth Circuit. So, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that judges are people. Judges are people who have personal leanings, political leanings. Um, as Ray mentioned uh, with federal judges, which we'll get into in our next That's segment, right, yeah. they're allowed to have opinions. They're allowed to uh, express those opinions through the way that they um, issue their judicial opinions. This is kind of how they get appointed frequently, and they get vetted on some of these things. If, if their opinions are outrageous, they may not be qualified, right? But a federal judge, once they're appointed on that bench, they're not subject to the political whims of the day or pressures that come from the media. They do what they want to do and whatever they see right until they decide that it's time for greener pastures. And I, I would think that at his Senate Judiciary committee hearing 30-something years ago. When asked about gun control, he would have said, I would apply the Second Amendment and start the thesis, which is prior law and rulings. I don't expect to change much. And he got at least 51 votes to get out of the Senate. Yeah. You know, we hear frequently people complaining, typically on one side or the other, about so-called activist judges. Um, And, you know, the activist judge is the judge who's ruling against you. And you're right. right. You know, you'd like to think, well, judges shouldn't legislate from the bench, which true, probably. But at the same time, it's more along the lines of, yeah, you know, I believe one thing. If somebody rules against me, then they're an activist judge. Right. And I'm mad at them for (laughs) doing that exact thing. The officiating was terrible. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. There were some activists by the losers. That's right. I never heard Larry Bird complain about the officiating or Michael Jordan. The winners never Never. complain about the officials or the judges. They don't need to. Because Kareem complained about every single call against him. LeBron acts like every single call is a personal affront. LeBron, I don't think he would be able to play in the NBA of old. Oh, I don't no. think he would have made it. As soon as you come across the midcourt line, you got hip-checked oh, by, my you know, gosh. It by was, a, it was a bad dude. Game. Remember, there used to be literally big, heavy-set linebackers, guys that played football in college. Every team had one. It wasn't her guy named Kite with the Celtics. 
at the end of the bench, a big, tall, nine, you know, seven foot white guy. I just remember Bill. And his Lambeer. job was to foul mm-hmm. people. Now, Lambier actually had some skills. No, of course. But, but there was there were headhunters in the yeah. NBA. You had six fouls to give, and whoever was going into the paint got whacked. Yeah. Right. You can't do that anymore. No, there's none of those days anymore. <laughs> and to keep the conversation on the Supreme Court how judges are put in the position they are. Why are they there for a lifetime? We'll get into some of that and a request that's been made from a couple senators about travel and who's paying for the travel for our Supreme Court when we come back next on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 1063. We're talking about California Judge. How do these guys get elected? What is the process? Like, how is it different for, say, a federal judge and a state judge? What's the process to getting to that level? What's the difference in the federal and the state courts and how they work and how you get elected or appointed? We'll get to some of that in just a second. And I'll also want to get to a story that's interesting. There's two senators, one Republican and one Democrat, who has requested the Supreme Court's travel records. Why would they ask for that? What is it they're they're looking for? What is it that it might show if they find some sort of impropriety? What would be an impropriety? We'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But first, I want to just focus on the difference in federal judges and state judges. What's the difference in the state court and the federal court and how these people get to the places that they are? Sure. It's a vast difference. And starting with the federal side, federal judges are appointed. And we've seen this process play out at the Supreme Court, which we know is done with the advice and consent of the Senate, which the president puts somebody up and makes these um, determinations as to who they want to serve on the Supreme Court. When Justice Kavanaugh was going through his vetting process, you know, that was played out as must-see TV. It's a brutal process, but even more so in an era now where it's all played out in real time, and nobody has secrets. If you did something when you were 17 years old, that's coming out. It's not just the FBI knocking on the doors of your former neighbors and, and saying, hey, what can you tell us about this guy when he was a kid, and was he a good neighbor? and a good person, they're digging into everything, and it's all out there. So it's very easy to find those skeletons in the closet and expose them. Well, historically, it wasn't always this messy. used to be the whoever the president of the United States was would get together with the leaders of the Senate from both parties and get in the Oval Office with a cup of coffee or a scotch and say, well, you know, gentlemen, ladies, give me your two or three best names, and if I nominated this person, would they be acceptable? If you go back and look at the vote counts historically, 
it's 93 to 7, 99 to 0. The fix was in. Now, let me just put it that way, because they were pre-vetted. Yes, the FBI would do the background check, but the votes were counted before they were counted. And so we're traditionally, and I believe it's not until really the, the Robert Bork nomination, which goes back, I believe, under the Reagan administration, a extremely, in fact, a brilliant jurist by everyone who would who knows the law, but a very opinionated guy. What happened to Bork, he got borked, and that's sort of the term that has been used became, ever since. An adjective, huh? And what then Justice Bork or Judge Bork did was actually try to answer the questions. Instead of what you now hear, this just pablum, maybe even a good question from one of the senators, maybe one of their aides wrote a question since most of them just can't. You hear, yes, Senator, I would apply the law as it stands. We would do our background search. Of course, we'd listen to all the arguments, but I cannot prejudge any case or factual scenario like the one you have given to me because I have to wait. Well, Bork actually answered the questions and he didn't get nominated. And then right. ever since then, it's been, with some rare occasions, very contested. You get coach speak, basically, right? Just like a, like a good ball game, good ball yeah. team. We're going to put out the best squad we it's got. Exactly you know? right. Right, right. And in the old days, it was also a matter of, okay, you knew you needed the cooperation of the opposition party. And so if the president's like, hey, look, this is who I plan on putting up, there would be some horse trading because taking place here. you needed 60 votes before the Democrats changed it to 51. Mm-hmm. Ah. So, so you, you know, there was frequently some horse trading taking place of like, look, we'll support your candidate, but I need support on this issue for my mm-hmm. constituents too. And the dam needs to be built and we need some yeah. highway money and yada, yada, yada. And, yada, and, and so. that's why these things would be done deals before they got there, but uh, certainly not the case now. As you go further down the chain of federal judicial appointments, there's, you know, the federal trial judge level, which is the district court. There are the courts of appeals, the initial courts of appeals, which are the circuit courts. So getting appointed to the federal bench, it's a big deal. And what we've seen typically, it's somebody who has had a distinguished legal career one way or the other. Maybe they were a state court bench, right? And take Georgia, for example, a state or superior court judge who's done an an exceptional job and is generally considered to be a top level jurist. Or perhaps they had a stellar career as a prosecutor is another uh, way that, you know, folks sort of move along line if they worked for the attorney general or a U.S. attorney's office. That might be the sort of way that they get noticed and recommended. So they'll be recommended. But what we saw is there is a vetting process and it has to go through the Judiciary Committee of the Senate. And the last four years of the Trump administration, we had a lot of judges being appointed to fill empty spots, open spots that were unfilled at various levels around the country because when Obama was president, and the Republicans controlled the Judiciary Committee, Mitch McConnell was not letting any of these nominations come up for those last four years of Obama. We know about it with the Supreme Court because of Judge Garland, who would never got the chance to be vetted for the Supreme Court seat at the, at the tail end of Obama's administration. But at the lower level, they just weren't even conducting hearings at all. So we know of several candidates, some from Georgia, who were recommended for federal positions that couldn't even get a hearing. As soon as you had President Trump in place, now all of a sudden you had a rush. These judges, one after another, there was all the distraction of the insanity of daily life under Trump that was in the news. But what wasn't in the news is that conservative judges appointed by Republicans were being filled for all of these positions on a, it seemed like a daily basis. A very efficient, a very and, efficient, yeah. and so probably now, the way it should have worked. So now you've got kind of a takeover almost of the judicial process by folks who have been appointed because of their conservative conservative leanings, as well as perhaps their judicial abilities. So the courts have changed. And also Trump appointees, very young. 
no matter what your perspective is, my perspective as a practicing attorney is, I like a judge that's practiced law for maybe 20 years. I think that's a good note. I'm not saying that's a hard, no, but, fast line. But, but he's got a good good experience. He or she has a 20 good years of legal experience. Yeah, you're, I think you're right to be a judge. We've got some judges that were appointed that are wet behind the ears. Now, mm-hmm. they have gone to some of the finest law schools in the country. They have clerked for Supreme Court justices. They've worked at big law firms. That's really good lineage. That's great, you know, if you're reading the the racing sheets, you know, for a bet yeah. on a horse. But I like to see a little bit of performance and a little bit of background. Right. That's just now, my now, personal. Oh, that's yeah. 100% valid. And, and look, Ray and I are senior lawyers. Between us, we've got 70 years of experience, more. Folks who are listening here who need representation, you want somebody who has the kind of experience that Ray and I have because we've been doing this a long time and nothing's going to surprise us, right? We, there's no situation we hadn't seen. As I like to say, with. you know how Captain Sullyberger landed that jet plane on the Hudson with no engines? He'd been flying for 35 years. Yeah. Okay, he, he, was he was ready to yeah. flip the switches right. and bring that I, thing I, down. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we are the Sully Sullenbergers of the legal profession don't here lie. in Atlanta. <laughs> but so you know, but these young lawyers, and one thing we found 35 years in practice is like, man, they just keep putting out more and more of these young lawyers. Yes, they may be very smart. They may or may not have the experience and the breadth of experience that you'd like to see in a judge. But if they're appointed to the federal bench at age 35, 40, they're going to be there a long time. It's a lifetime and, appointment. And, and, which is another key difference between the federal judges and the state court judges. And how can you remove a federal judge by impeachment? For high crimes and misdemeanors, there was one U.S. Supreme Court justice impeached but not removed, what, 1806? <laughs> right, right. And then I believe, was it Judge Alcee Hastings from Florida back in the 70s that was impeached? He was removed from office and came back as a congressman and served many terms. He passed away very recently. Yeah. So, so what happened here recently with this attempt to uh, have a bipartisan investigation into certain expenses for U.S. Supreme Court justices, it's interesting because we want to know, are these justices being unfairly influenced by outside elements? Right. So do we feel like that judges at maybe any level, state and the federal level, do you feel like that they're influenced, before we get to this specifically, do you feel like they're influenced by their political leanings or do they really take a look at the law? I mean, I guess you're going to interpret the law by the way you feel, but do they look at things from a conservative, liberal point of view and say, I'm going to rule this way because this is the way I feel or do I see it as this is the way the law is written? If a judge has a judicial philosophy, then you expect them to follow that judicial philosophy and be consistent with it. We talk about conservative judges. We talk about liberal judges. And it doesn't mean liberal in the same sense as a liberal politician. It means just a different way of interpreting the law. But you expect that if they have a philosophy to be consistent with it. Some justices are textualists. You know, they really go by the written word of the law. And if that's the case, then that philosophy should apply separate from no your matter, political leanings. No matter how, right? right? This is my judicial philosophy. Of course. My personal political leanings and, you know, my biases shouldn't change how I view that. The reality is, and and, you know, Ray and I have seen this at every level, is that judges are people too. It would be naive to think that they're completely separating themselves from the way that they rule in these cases, even though we expect them to be clinical. So the reason that we think that lifetime appointments are great for federal judges is that they can set aside their personal philosophy, maybe their judicial leanings pre uh, going on, and maybe they were a federal prosecutor. Well, now they've got to get back to neutral. 
as a judge, right? Not having to be reelected every four years and having to say I'm tough on crime like our state court judges have to do every four years and raise money and can't look soft on crime because they wouldn't get reelected. Maybe that's how it should be, and it has worked for several hundred years. But down on the state court level where Bruce and I practice daily of both our state court judges and superior court, state court judges have misdemeanor jurisdiction and personal injury case jurisdiction. Superior court judges have felonies, divorces, equity, just about everything. And you've got to be a jack of all trades to, to be on the superior all, court. All, all, all real kinds estate of, disputes are in superior exactly court. Exactly right. And constitutional issues arise there often then before they go to our court of appeals here in Georgia. So we see the difference and we interact with judges who every four years literally have to put out their hands and raise $150,000 to $300,000 in Metro Atlanta. That's probably about the average cost to get elected in a contested race. Now, back when I was a baby lawyer, there weren't that many contested races unless it was an open seat. A judge retired at the end of his or her term so that they weren't filled by the governor, which never almost happened. Usually they retire six months before the governor got to pick the replacement. Therefore, that person was the incumbent Mm -hmm. on the next election. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there was politics. Usually, good judges didn't get challenged. Maybe they raised a little bit of seed money to throw a party or a celebration. They had a little money in their bank account so no one would run against them. Now, But, but it was also even beyond just the money. It was a matter of kind of respect for you their did a position great as judges. And it's like, you're doing a, a good job. Some like you, some don't. But you're a good judge, and no one's going to run against you as a sitting judge. But that changed. That's changed. And those judgeships, so by way of example, here in Fulton County, Georgia, there are 20 superior court judges. There are 10 state court judges. There's a gaggle of magistrate judges. There's probate court judges. There's 50 or 60 full-time judges in that one courthouse mm-hmm. that every four years have to run for re-election. Okay? And most people don't know their names. That's right, unless they've been affected by a right. case. So it's a lawyer's poll, basically, and then we lawyers raise money and throw some parties and get our pictures taken and put on Facebook, shaking the judge's hand. Right. And then we talk to our church or our synagogue or our PTA about a great judge. Yeah, or, or, or even now, you know, you put it out on Facebook. Facebook. I remember right. this past election season. It's like, hey, you know, people have asked me what I think of these judicial elections, or we see constitutional amendments and things like this, and the average Joe just doesn't really know it enough or have researched it. So here's my opinion. This is who I'm supporting, and it's a way to just try to get it out there. But I'll tell you an interesting story. So I have a streak of bad luck with folks putting political signs in front of the yard of my office. My office is right downtown Decatur, right by the DeKalb County Courthouse, very visible piece of property. So folks like to put their political signs there. And I had a uh, guy who was running for an open seat in DeKalb County State Court say, hey, can I put a sign there? It's like, you can, but I'm, I'm telling you my history here is that, you know, everybody's put a sign here, we've lost. Well, there were like six names in the race. He finished sixth. In, in that race, right? <laughs> so, so, so he's out. So now there's a runoff between the top two finishers because nobody had more than 50%. And so one of the top two finishers says, hey, I'd like to put a sign in your yard. <laughs> I tell him the Buddy. same thing. Hey, look, you can put, you can put a sign <laughs> out here. Happy to do it. But I hear Here's the history. Sure enough, he loses. You're right? a mush. I'm a mush. You're a mush. I'm a, Don't I'm, sit I'm next to me. We go to Vegas. Yeah. Go get lunch exactly. while I gamble. So now, now, three months ahead, I'm now trying a case in front of the judge that won that election, who I've visibly supported two people running against her. And she must but not have, really, though. No, well, she had to have passed my yeah. sign to get to the courthouse multiple times with my big, giant sign in front of yeah. And, right? of course, all donations are recorded by the Secretary of State's office. So you could go online. 
And you could look back to see which judges Ray Judice wrote checks to for mm-hmm. the last 30 years, probably. Right. Right. So, the, so the judge makes uh, calls up me and opposing counsel to the bench beforehand and she says, counsel, I just want you to know that the defense lawyer in this case made a contribution to my campaign when I was running for office here. And if you feel that that would somehow or another affect my impartiality and that I should recuse myself from this trial, I will do so. And I just start sweating, you know, but, but the first I said was, judge, I do not think you need to recuse yourself. There's no reason for you to do that. I appreciate you saying it. I'd just like to know if it's too late for me to match or exceed opposing <laughs> counsel's contribution to help you retire the campaign debt. <laughs> have my checkbook with me. How <laughs> might I help? Let me be of assistance. That way we're equal. Yeah, right. that's right. Not, yeah. There's no problem. Absolutely <laughs> right. That's so funny. Have you ever had to bring that up to a judge where you're like, look, I know the sign was out there, but they just asked <laughs> if I could put it there. I just said, sure, because I don't care. I, I've, I've had to account for that, but because of the proximity they have to the courthouse, we hold fundraisers. We raise money for judges. You and know, we're, sometimes we're, we do, for many candidates, running for the same race. I've yeah. done that. I've had lawyers I've known and respected and maybe are friends with more than one running for the same seat and I'll just say I'm going to write you a check for X but I want you to know I'm writing an equal size check for your opponent and may the best because I want you to be able to get your word out so that the voters can have information. Let people make an informed decision. That's right. But it gets unseemly and especially when sitting judges are calling you. You know if I'm sitting in my office Every single person in my office knows, look, every call that comes here is important. We want to talk to anybody who calls here. But if a judge calls, you go and you, you the open the bathroom door if you have to to get the lawyer out of, the, out of that bathroom. <laughs> because right. we jump when yeah. a judge calls, right? So when a judge calls and, you know, we jump to it and they say, hey, you know, I'm running for re-election. Can you help out? It's a very You're in a jam. difficult call. You're yeah. in a jam. You're, yeah. you're absolutely in a jam. And I feel like saying, Judge, just tell me how much. I don't want to give you 250 if you're expecting 500 and I don't want to give you 500 if you're looking for 1000 but I also want to write you a check for 1000 if 250 would have done it. Yeah, right. <laughs> absolutely. Just tell me what you expect. But it didn't used to be this way. And you, we never had to take calls like that. And I know it's uncomfortable for the judges, but they have to do it. It's just, they have to it's call just, their own or can they have someone from their campaign they, call? They used to have people from the campaign call. Now they tend to call themselves. Because it's more personal. And they can. I think they, they didn't know used we're going to take the call. It. They have to leave the courtroom or their chambers. They're supposed to go do it on personal time. They shouldn't be using the county's phone. They should use their own personal phone. And the better way to do it, and what Bruce is really alluding to, even if the judge does call you or the candidate, is then say, I really like your support, and I'm going to pass you off to Ray Judice, my campaign chairman, who's right. going to basically close the deal about right. how much. Sure. It's really unseemly, and it is uncomfortable when they start talking about and, numbers. And look, Ray and I, you know the old saying, a good lawyer knows the law, a great lawyer knows the judge. Ray and I know a lot of judges. We've socialized with a lot of judges. It helps to know judges. I know from talking to judges, this is the worst part of their job. They do hate it. They hate it. They hate that they have to raise money, but at the same time, that old way of doing things where if they were sitting on the bench and got good ratings from the lawyers who appear in front of them, that they were protected and they wouldn't be challenged, that's just not the case anymore. Now it's everybody with an agenda wants to run for judge. Or wants to promote their salary. I mean, I hate to say this, but I see a lot of lawyers who either aren't making good salaries and don't have the county benefits or prosecutors or public defenders who are on county salaries. It's a significant jump in pay, prestige, security, parking spots. And there's a lot of benefits to being a judge. You know, everybody stands up when you walk in. Everybody laughs at your jokes. Everybody. (laughs) Whether they're funny or not. You're the funniest person in the room every single time. So I know it's very uncomfortable for judges to have to do that. But, you know, look, it's, it's just part of the reality here. 
And we get calls all the time. I've at least gotten to the point now where folks call me who are challenging a sitting judge of being able to say, look, I appreciate what you're doing. I wish you the best, but I only make contributions to incumbent judges. I can't support challengers. It's yeah. called Be- being a winocrat. We it's only support winning. the winners. And, and you know, <laughs> if it turns out you win and good luck, if that's what happens, happy to Next help time you I'll in, help you. Next in time arrears around. and pay down some of that campaign debt. There's always a post-election win. party to surrender the debt because there's never enough money. The last 10 days, they go out and buy a bunch of TV time or radio ads up here or T-shirts and bumper stickers. So they may have raised 150 and now there's $30,000 in debt. So if, if you weren't writing a check on a front end and your candidate loses, then you go to the surrender the debt party and now you're back in. So, yeah. let, so let's bring this back to the discussion here on, on your day in court. Some of the differences between federal yeah, and, and right. state court judges, right? The federal judges aren't subjected to this sort of pressure, right? They don't have to raise money. They certainly don't have to worry about pleasing or offending a certain constituency. If you have folks with a real agenda, let's take the state court level and superior court level judges out of it and talk about appeals courts, right? If you are a one-issue constituency, there's one issue that matters to you. Maybe it's gun control. Maybe it's abortion. Whatever whatever it it might be. You can take all of the power that your membership gives you and push a candidate for one of these appellate court positions. And in a, a state like Georgia, where those positions are elected, you can get that person on the bench regardless of their qualifications as a judge. And that, to me as a lawyer, is horrifying. We used to choose our appellate judges as the best of the best, the smartest among us. Maybe couldn't necessarily make it as as the best lawyer in private practice, but really smart people, analytical. Who and also were committed to that job. Wanted to, the wanted job. to be a judge since the first day of law school, which I don't think Bruce and I ever thought about it. You know, we're not wired that way. We're wired to practice law and and make money, quite frankly. Yeah, you know? well, right. But, but that's how we get results. Well, you know, and, and to pick a side yeah. and, and fight. And argue it. To, yeah, yeah. And fight. We're not neutral it, about it, much. Yeah, it's another reason why folks, as they age in our career, become mediators and, and they help folks resolve their disputes, which is great and an important skill. And it's one that I just don't think I'd be great at Same because here. inevitably, after hearing both sides, I'd go into one room and say, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> it's you clear know? what yeah. needs to happen, right. right? What are you doing here? We're it's, an hour into this <laughs> and I've already ruled, okay? We're not, we're not <laughs> right. waiting until after right. lunch to get this done. So I I just think it's shameful that, you know, at our highest level of appellate court judges, Supreme Court and our state judges, that this is subject to so much outside political influence now that you're not necessarily seeing the best people put forth. You're seeing folks who are backed by somebody with an agenda. Do you think it would be better at the state level if we went to what the federal courts do with a lifetime appointment at the state level? So um, I, I was married to a person who was a fantastic lawyer for a very big law firm, thousand lawyer law firm and she and I would have this philosophical discussion let's call it because I would take her to these fundraisers for judges and we'd put the check in an envelope in the fishbowl and shake the judge's hand and get yeah, that get wink Facebook and, and she was appalled and so her thing was we need to have a blue ribbon committee the smartest lawyers and they'll serve and they'll elect and I'm like I know who your blue ribbon committee is it's your big corporate law firm on the 97th floor of the building and you're picking some judge from the country club. I'm a little guy. I'm down here to fighting for the regular folks just like Bruce is and my 500 bucks gets my name known and gets me to make sure I help get the right judges elected and the wrong judges unelected rather than some blue ribbon committee that you and I would be showing the door. Yeah. At times I've thought they should limit those sorts of positions when it comes to appeals court judges to lawyers. Let the lawyers be the ones who vote. You know, Even there you'd be subject, all right, someone's at a thousand lawyer firm is sure. different than the guys like us who are in court every day. Right. And we, you know, we know who's good and who, who knows what they're doing and who doesn't, who actually reads the briefs and who doesn't. It seems like such a small thing to ask that a judge 
would know what the issues are in a case. So look, there is a judge in DeKalb County State Court that we both know very well. He was a practicing lawyer, did plaintiff's work. He had never been in the state in the system as a magistrate judge or a part-time prosecutor or anything like that. He wanted to be judge. And his, his seat, he ran for an open seat. This is every bit of 20 years ago. There were at least five candidates, and some of them were very qualified. This judge stood on a corner of one of the busiest intersections of DeKalb County every morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and every evening from 5 to 8 with a sandwich board, a sign. He had earned it. He outworked those other candidates, and he loves that job, and he's devoted himself to it, and he outworks a lot of judges and lawyers on the bench. But that's an example where that judge would never have been either elected by a bunch of lawyers because nobody knew him really. I mean, he's Regular guy, regular lawyer. And the blue ribbon panel would have asked him if they would have parked his car for them. I mean, you know. Right, right. right. (laughs) (laughs) You know. So I like the hustle. I want to see somebody work for it. I don't mind that at all. And I don't mind helping to fund it. I don't think that state court judges should get that sort of a benefit of just being appointed and for, for life and having that. But I also think that it may be time for a fresh look at the federal system and these lifetime appointments. Okay. And, and should there be something akin to term limits or a reevaluation after a period of time? How many years and, served? And, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, like, let's say someone's 10 years or 15 years into their time on the bench to say that you're, you're going to be evaluated on your verdicts and your opinions and how you run your courtroom. And maybe then the judges who sit on motions without ruling on them for 18 months would be dinged for that sort of thing. Let's continue this conversation on the other side of the break. What should we do if there is a fresh look at the Supreme Court and those lifetime appointments? We'll discuss it next. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory-certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs. With Blue certified, nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to the final segment of your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I want to get back into the conversation we were having about freshening up the federal court system, maybe even taking it one step further if we have time, and that is the idea of packing the court, because that's come up in the news in recent months. What would you guys do to freshen up the federal court system, or would you do anything? Well, let's start with the packing the court. Okay. It does not say in the Constitution how many justices shall appear on the United States Supreme Court. Nine has been the number for most of our country's history. During the Roosevelt administration, Franklin Delano Roosevelt elected, I want to say, in 1932. He was trying to get the New Deal legislation through, which meant uh, public works projects, and also he was trying to, he knew what was going on in Europe, and he was trying to get the military funded. And so he wanted to pack the court and increase 
the number of jurists from 9 to 15, which would have given him six appointees, which would have been enough to sway uh, the court to approve his legislation. Mm -hmm. Because the the Supreme Court killed almost all the New Deal legislation initially during the Great Depression. So now we have another movement under another Democratic presidency of President Biden to pack the court so that President Biden, a Democrat, would have a number of appointees. There's not really any number thrown around, but it's at least four. Yeah, they talk, they talk about 13. 13, you know, okay, right, and we're and, nine. And, right, and, right. And, and so, you know, to some extent, is this a reaction to what we saw in the last four years, and particularly as it related to uh, Amy Coney Barrett's um, nomination and how quickly that was pushed through, um, you know, how much of this is a reaction to that and, and political expediency? Or, you know, is it just that, hey, the country's changed, you know, we're a larger population, there are more cases, there are, what do you say, 12 or 13 um, circuits uh, in our country, so why not have a number of justices there that match the, the number of circuit courts? And, Unfortunately, and that recommendation was not made during any Republican right. administration for the last, since Nixon. Okay, right. so so it's it's just, it's clearly politics. Yeah. I mean, it's just, now, all of those are not bad considerations. And if somebody or a bipartisan committee said, the country's changed, we have 13 circuits, we need, we need more of a rainbow, and I'm not trying to be condescending, of types of human beings. You know, I believe right now every Supreme Court jurist has gone to a northeastern college, and it's like Yale, NYU, yeah, and Columbia, the Ivies. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there was a Stanford in there, but— Okay, you know, maybe, if so. Maybe, maybe, but, maybe one. And that may be Justice Barrett. She may be the yeah. exception. Uh, I think six out of nine are Catholic, and I'm Catholic, but that's that's not a very good it's not, balance. There's not a lot of diversity. There's not yet. a lot of diversity. Uh, we have ages from, I think, Justice Barrett is in her 40s, and uh, Justice Thomas is in his 80s, so we have a huge age disparity. But the court is aging, and there's a big, pre- a big movement to put pressure by progressive groups uh, for older justices now to retire while we have a Democratic president so President Biden can replace them with their, his 48-year-old judges. Right, right. And so, you know, I, I, th- I think it makes sense to look into should there be— a limit of how many years somebody can serve? Should there be an age limit? Should there be a reevaluation uh, along the way of, of somebody's uh, production and performance as a justice? What it's hard health? to do that. It's hard to do that. Yeah, with, with, with he- Justice health Ginsburg. Is, yeah. Health is certainly an interesting one because, and, and, and mental health, clearly, um, should be something because we know aging populations, you've got the greater risk of dementia and neurocognitive problems and any other number number of issues that can affect a person's ability to, to rule. I mean, Justice Douglas, a hero and a legend, was appointed by Franklin Roosevelt and I think finally retired just shortly before his death in the Carter administration uh, and was essentially, I want to say, comatose <laughs> for three or four years. No, wow. I mean, he, he, he was carried into the chambers and could barely write his signature uh to her credit ruth bader ginsburg who's just was just a tough a tough old bird and i mean that with respect yeah but you know what if you're going through chemotherapy and you've got cancer and you're taking pain medications how what is and i don't know the answer to this but it's not it's not illegitimate for there be a process to say you're in really physical pain 
can you concentrate mm-hmm. at age 80 plus on these weighty constitutional issues? That's not an illegitimate question. We all know that when we don't feel well, and I'm not even going to, you know, to cancer, you have the flu. Yeah. It's hard to work. Okay. It's hard to take care of your responsibilities. So I think there may, we may need to go to, and I don't have a problem with an age a limit on judges. But what I, would that be? I, I, exactly. And, and, and maybe it's a term limit in the sense of, you know, people are getting appointed at different ages. Um, but, you know, we don't... I mean, need, how many years do you serve? Yeah, how many years do you serve? Which, which you know, term limits, I think, would be good in other respects as it relates like, to... Like the with Senate senators and Congress. And Congress. Ex- I, I agree I really with you. do. I, I think Me if too. If there's a bipartisan issue... That's uh, it. That's it. I mean, know? we are a country led by octogenarians. I mean, not to offend anybody, I hope to be one myself, you know, and, and all three of us. But, you know, if President Biden were to be reelected, he's going to be serving into his, well, into his, his 80s. 80s. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, and, and we have senators, is it Feinstein, who's 86? I mean, God bless them. I'm, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad they're good. But corporate America retires its chief executive officers in the late 60s because it's time to move along mm-hmm. you can sit on the board of directors you can be emeritus you can consult back but we need some new thinking we need you know i like my doctors to have gone to medical school after the invention of the mri machine okay? right, I right, mean, right you know I, I don't need them on what the, the changing technology i don't need them out yesterday but yeah you know and if you went to medical school in 1957 god bless you but you things know, have right. changed. Yeah. Chances are you're going to be right about a lot of things. A lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I prefer the ones who uh, knew how to play video games and know how to operate the robotic machines that are going to I do think that's right. surgery. And again, on, especially going, if it's on my brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I realize that our justices are brilliant people. They have these fantastic law clerks, the smartest of the smart from law schools. But if you were born before the invention of TV, I don't know that you should yeah. be on our ever-changing technological right. world and the challenges of spying and yeah. cybercrime oh my gosh. crypto no question at, at the state level i'd really like to see the money taken out of the process mm-hmm. and, and if that means that we set aside money for candidates that qualify to run that hey the, the state will provide you with this much of a budget to promote yourself and you can work within that budget great but i think the opportunity of outside forces to unduly influence state appellate elections is is really dangerous, and um, I'd, I'd I'd like to see something done that prevents that. From now we're not seeing that at the local level, the county level, where, yeah. where some group from New York or from L.A. or from wherever is trying to help fund that campaign. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but at our court it's, of appeals and our it's Georgia Supreme Court, we're seeing political action committees from all over the country, as we just saw in our two senatorial elections. Mm-hmm. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If we're sure. going to, if we're going to limit justices from Agreed. getting money from, you know, a group up in New York city, uh, maybe we should not allow that to fund our senatorial elections right. equally as important. Yeah. Right. Maybe next that. week we'll talk about citizens United right. and, and right. some, you know, some of the problems that's created. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and where the Supreme court said, Congress, Senate, go pass a law. It'll be fine, but yeah. we're not doing it for you. Right. Yeah. There you go. This is your day in court. Really quickly, how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. You can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. Always available, always ready to help you with your personal injury cases. 404-964-4185. Ray at Ray G. Law. Ray Judice. Google me. I've got a lot of video from my old CNN days with Nancy Grace. Her yelling at me and throwing things at me on live television. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> right. If you need help, these are the two gentlemen that you need to reach out to. Your day in court.
Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.